random encounter at a broadcasting facility. A shared interest and love of all things Marvel. Excelsior! A misinterpreted program title. And behold, a podcast is born. Peter Melnick. Podcaster and comic book enthusiast. And Eddie Wilson! Upstate New York radio announcer, still with an inordinate amount of catching up to do. Peter! What are you doing? Here we go with a new episode of The Marvelists. Hi there, this is the legendary Tom DeFalco. I'm a former editor-in-chief of Marvel, and I've written a lot of stuff from Archie to Spider-Man to Thor, the Fantastic Four, Superboy, and a whole bunch of other stuff. And you're listening to The Marvelists with Peter Melnick and Eddie Wilson. Welcome, everyone, to The Marvelists, the Marvel Universe podcast. I'm Peter Melnick. And I'm Eddie Wilson. And joining us on the other end of the tin can and web... He said it himself, legendary. The legendary Tom DeFalco. Tom, good evening. <laughs> good evening. Depending on your time uh, zone, yes. Well, it's not evening here, but that's okay. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. Absolutely right. Been at this for, we just found out, 50 years. Happy anniversary. Thank you so much for everything you've done and, and continue to still be doing. We're getting uh, word from that from you. So thank you again. Well, listen, I've, I've had a great time doing comics, and I, and I just love the medium. Right out of the shoot, if we can, Tom, what got you in and or what character in comics or maybe and then a person that, you know, led you to pursue this path that you're still on? Uh, you know that's a that's that's a, a hard one. I I became interested in comics uh, comic scripts as a as a young child. Mm-hmm. I, you know, read the Phantom, Mandrake the Magician, and uh, Pogo Possum. Mm-hmm. You know, and of course, uh, you know, Lynn Starr's uh, on stage. I, I just love those. You know, the comic scripts. And somewhere along the line, a, a cousin of mine, my cousin John, uh, handed me a comic one day, a comic book, and it, it featured Batman. I don't know what what title, what issue number or anything. All I know is that this Batman creature scared the heck out of me. <laughs> um, but I found the fact that, hey, you know, it, it, it's like comic strips, but it's all in a book and tells the whole story. And, wow, that's kind of cool. Um, and then discovered that, you know, comic books were hanging around, uh, you know, at the local candy stores and stuff. And um, at a very early age, I, you know, I just knew that I was kind of useless for any sort of, you know, gainful employment <laughs> and, and figured that I was, you know, destined to be a writer. And, you know, started writing, at a very, like I say, at a very early age. Uh, you know, did all the, the high school, you know, working on the newspapers and the literary magazines and all the other stuff. And when I got to college, I did the same sort of stuff, but then started to work for actual newspapers and uh, started selling articles and short stories and all sorts of other nonsense. And, uh, you know, and, and it's still doing it. Well, it's just wonderful to do, and I'm sure... You're still, of course, not only connected to it, immersed in it, but still getting personal enjoyment out of it in, you know, all the time, although maybe not as much of a time uh, commitment constraint, not as much, maybe not as much, maybe different type of pressure to get stuff done. 
Yeah, I, uh, I'm trying to remember. A bunch of years ago, I um, decided that I would... <laughs> my work schedule is kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. And, and on Sundays, I would uh, you know, have lunch and watch like the first half of the, uh, the Jet football game. And uh, somewhere along the line, I decided, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna stick around and watch the whole game, <laughs> and that that slowly expanded. A, a few years ago, I decided I was gonna start taking weekends off, um, and that has you know that has led me down a terrible path. I no longer work 15 hours a day, seven days a week. I now actually take weekends off and and uh, you know take a break after three o'clock in the afternoon. Good, good life mantra or method because yeah, it can it can you can be immersed in it. It can uh, hopefully not consume you, but you know you still do what you love and love what you do. Um, yeah, it began with you in in Archie Comics, and you weren't even twenty years old from what I can see. But from from there, uh, I have something that says you initiated and developed the Archie Comics Digest series. Now, if you can recall how. It came about to, you know, put the comic book into that format, or if there were other things that were in that, you know, Digest series. And an aside, I love the Digest. Those are a big part of my childhood, and they were a staple of the supermarket scene. But they had no staples, didn't they? Stop that. (laughs) (laughs) They had no staples. Um, You know, I I know they they have that on Wikipedia, and I'd love to take credit for it. Basically, I stole the idea off of Western Publishing. Mm-hmm. Western Publishing started doing uh, digests. I think they were the first company to start doing digest books. And I noticed the noticed them, and you know, they had like Donald Duck and uh, Torox, Son of Stone, and that sort of stuff. And I was working at Archie at the time, so I took them to the publisher, uh, John Goldwater, not the current John Goldwater. Um, but uh, the, you know, the original John Goldwater, mm. and I said, "Hey, you know, Mr. Goldwater, I think we should we we should uh, you know do our comics here because they're perfect for this this kind of format." And he looked at me and probably called me an idiot and told me to go back to my desk. Um, and then two days later, he came back and said, "You know, I'm thinking, Tom, maybe we should do these digest books," <laughs> and and that's how we started. Um, and, you know, you know, in regards to your fandom of comics, just in general, you know, getting in with especially the funny animal types, one thing about comics, you either pick, you got to pick one or the other, Marvel or DC. And of the two, which was the one that you gravitated towards the most when you were a child? Well, um, when when I was a young child, there was just the DC, you know, superheroes. Um and Marvel, you know, just came out with monster books and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. About, I think I was about 10 or 11. Um, I remember walking into this store and seeing this comic book called The Fantastic Four. And there were two issues there, and I recognized the Human Torch on both covers. Um, up until then, I just assumed Fantastic Four meant there were four stories in the book. Oh, okay. Um, you know, but I saw, hey, this is a superhero team, so... I picked up uh, issue three and four of Fantastic Four, and um, those two books just 
they they grabbed me by the throat and <laughs> they have never let go. Um, I was just totally enamored with the Marvel style, the Marvel you know characters, the, the way the Marvel way of doing things. Uh, ever since I I you know loved the, my early DC guys like the Flash and Green Lantern, but you know you know once I. Once I started reading the Marvels, the, you know, nothing, nothing grabbed me like that. Um, I was also reading a lot of, you know, Edgar Rice Burroughs and uh, Robert E. Howard and that sort of stuff. So the Marvels like kind of fit into that like, that kind of universe. I guess maybe yes, in the adventure sense, because right away when you say those two names, I think Tarzan and Conan. So in a different aspect. You know, not bare-chested or just loincloth kind of thing. Adventure, in the general yeah. sense. Yeah. You know, I, I've always been a genre man. Mm -hmm. Now, in regards to Marvel in general, how was it that you ended up getting into the House of Ideas? <laughs> um, yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I wrote for Archie, wrote for Charlton, some point I started doing some work for DC. Um, I actually owe my whole superhero career to uh, Joe, um, Joe Orlando because uh, I, I was doing some custom comics for Joe and then he had me doing some humor comics. And then at one point he said, hey, have you ever thought of doing straight stuff, which is what we call superhero stuff? Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, I, I love reading that stuff, Joe, but uh, it looks so hard to me. And he said to me, kid, you, you got to come up with character. You, know, you have to, you know, have, have good characterization. He says, you, you know how to do that. He says, you got to be able to plot. You know how to do that. But here's the kicker. It doesn't have to be funny. So they're, they're paying you the same rate. You're only doing half the work. And <laughs> I couldn't argue with his arithmetic because I thought, yeah, coming to, making it funny is the hardest part of, of any job. Imagine being uh, the person that has to do the comic strips on the daily basis for a newspaper. You have to have a punchline every single time, and you got to make sure it lands. Yeah, tell me about it. <laughs> I, 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 I have worked on, on daily comic strips, and um, it is a, uh, a grueling job um, because it never ends. Yeah. You know? Um, I, many years ago, I used to work on the, um, uh, on the Archie daily and Sundays and the Sundays had a, had a, like a grid where you had to be able to drop the first panel, um, a three tier grid. And on the top tier, you had to be able to drop the, the first panel and then the other, the other panel or or two panels however you wanted to break it up had to also be droppable um, and then the rest of the strip had to make sense even if you dropped the first three panels of it mm. um, and and then the you know I forget the first two panels had to be the same size as the third panel something like that there, there was a whole grid to it and I used to work out that grid and then write like eight Sunday scripts <laughs> all at once, um, you know, over the course of maybe two or three days. Um, 
and then just work on dailies for a while. And, uh, and, and it never failed. Like we constantly get the call from Stan Goldberg saying, Hey, hey I need more, <laughs> I need more Sundays. <laughs> so, those were the, those were the days. Yeah. Different than they are now with digital and, and everything else involved in that, in the media and so on. Let's fast forward if we can to uh, 1981. And we did speak also with Danny Fingeroth about this character as well. Uh, so, what what's your take on Dazzler? <laughs> um, well, I I was originally hired to develop Dazzler. Um, there was a, a deal where they had a, a record company, a movie company, Marvel, movie company. And I, I don't know if they had a TV people, but the idea was they were going to create a character, um, uh, uh, Kurt, Kirkman, uh, Kirkman was, was the guy doing it. He had done that with the Archies. Um, and we were going to, oh no, he wasn't. It was Casablanca Records, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Cas- Casablanca Records. Um, they were going to just create a character and then they were going to do it as a comic book, um, put it on tour for the record company and then do a movie. And, uh, originally they, they thought that they were going to have Bo Derek be the character. And, um, I remember they were going to call the character Dazzler and they said to me, yes, her superpower is she's so beautiful. She compels people to tell the truth. Hmm. And I remember thinking, boy, that's a lousy, <laughs> a, a lousy and non-visual power for a comic book. And I said, yeah, I don't like that. And, and, and I forget it was the record company guy or somebody says, okay, wise guy, what's your idea? And I said, her name's Dazzler. It had, you know, should be something to do with light. Mm-hmm. And, and it was, it was like, I said something brilliant um, Dazzling too. The, yeah, yeah. You know, the the three guys like looked at each other like, oh yeah, why dazzle? <laughs> oh, why? And I'm thinking, you put a hundred comic book guys in the room, and you say dazzler, they're all going to say the same thing. <laughs> well, what's get what gets me about like the original version of the power? Like the only thing that you know you can tell is like they just politely nod, like, oh yeah, you've got a point. Like that that's what the power would cause them to do. So yeah, <laughs> and. uh you know, and I thought, and later on, I, I, I went home and I thought, well, you know, if she's going to sing, you've got to do something with, you know, have, have a reason for the sound and the light. And, oh, she converts sound waves into light waves, is, you know, and then, you know, ad-libbed from there. She's her own concert, you know. Yeah. No, yeah. no road crew, no, no nothing like that. <laughs> now, and, when- and, I, and I came up with the name Allison, which means Child of Light and Blair. You know, an outrageous sound. Now, when we had Danny on, and Eddie had mentioned it with the character, he brought up the uh, the face paint, and Danny wasn't sure, but since it was Casablanca Records, and it had like a, Ed, as Eddie said, like a kiss type of makeup, was the idea of that you know to also incorporate all sorts of different you know of Casablanca's acts, since Kiss was a part of their uh, label at the time. Um. I, if if it was, nobody said that to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the, the face paint was just 
a makeup thing that they wanted to, to put on her. Because um, depending on who was going to do the singing, they, they, they might have wanted to have a couple of different different ladies do it. And with the character of Dazzler, I remember hearing that the rumor was when they were going to do a Dazzler movie, if Bo Derek was to be involved, that Bo Derek wanted like the one condition, like my husband has to be the one that directs it. Yeah, and I think that was that movie thing was going ahead up until I think Tarzan came out. Because um, uh, John Derek directed Bo in in. Tarzan, or some Tarzan movie. Yeah, Tarzan the Ape Man. Tarzan the Ape Man. And um, that kind of like killed John Derrick's <laughs> directing career. Um, uh, the movie company then dropped out of the the whole thing. They, they didn't want to have anything to, you know, suddenly they were no longer interested in this Dazzler. I wonder thing. why. <laughs> and then at some point the... Uh, the record company dropped out, um, and and meanwhile we had prepared this thing to be like a 48, 40, 48 page super special. Right. That Marvel used to do these color super specials, magazine size. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, you know, we were well on our way. We might have even finished it by the time everybody dropped out, and then you know the company didn't know what to do with it, so they put it in a drawer for a couple of years. And then at a certain point, they decided to take it out and publish it. And um, they, their attitude was, okay, we're just going to cut the story in half. Hmm. And, and I thought, wait, wait, wait a minute. You can't just cut it in half. you got to have a cliffhanger. Um, so we restructured a, a little bit to put a cliffhanger. And then we had... Uh, the first page of the second issue, um, I, I might be exaggerating, but I think it has 200 balloons in it, as Dazzler thinks about everything that happened to the first issue. Because um, I couldn't figure out any other way to get all that information in. Now, in regards to you know all of that, I remember hearing recently, uh, they actually, with the Dazzler the movie kind of thing, a uh, movie theater local... or. At least nearby, I think in New Jersey, they had uh, on the marquee, this fan ended up getting Dazzler the movie directed by Bill Sienkiewicz put up on a uh, movie marquee. So technically Dazzler Dazzler did make it to the big screen, just, you know, without the movie itself. (laughs) Well, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I think it may be at best. But I know she appeared in one of the X-Men movies. Yes, she's in uh, Dark Phoenix. All right, yeah. That's right. Yeah, exactly. What did you think of finally seeing her on the big screen in that kind of uh, capacity? I, quite frankly, I didn't have much of a reaction one way or the other. Mm -hmm. It it just, uh, you know, by then, the Dark Phoenix movie had already numbed me. (laughs) Yeah, yep. That's a... a, uh... That is something I have not heard, or not, that I have heard many times, so I completely understand. Now, in regards to also, you know, just characters making it to the big screen, what was your first character to make the jump from the comic book page to the big screen? Um, I guess it would be um, uh, Ant-Man's daughter. 
in the Ant Man movie. Uh, Cassie Lang. Cassie. Yeah. Uh, no. No. Um. Um. Oh. What, is it? what do you mean? Yeah. <laughs> I can't think of her name. She, she, she adopted the identity of the Wasp. Is uh, Janet Hank Pym's daughter. Hank Pym's daughter. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying. Um, I'm drawing a blank uh, on the name now. Uh, too. Evangeline, Evangeline Lilly Plazer. Right. In the movie. Yep. Hope. Hope. Oh yeah, hope. Mm-hmm. Hope. There we go. That was a character we created in the MC2 line. It's so it's so weird seeing they'll find you know different things in the uh, cinematic portrayals. Like they'll pull from as many different sources as humanly possible and manage to make like a. Uh, it's it's kind of like their own battle world of uh, you know ideas and whatnot. Yeah, and, and but they're doing a great job. I, 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 I'm a big fan of the Marvel movies. I, I I think Kevin Foggy is just you know he's knocking it out of the park. Hmm. So does that mean you've you've been able to catch up with as they've been coming out? Uh, your time schedules permitted that, so are you all up on on all those titles now? We just we just actually did a review of Thor: Love and Thunder and realized, wow, this is the 29th MCU movie. That's the 29th. That's what that's, that's what the old right. Wikipedia said. Yeah. Well, I I just happened to catch that one last night. Mm-hmm. Okay. And and I I really enjoyed it. I. I understand it's polarizing among some fans mm-hmm. um, that they, you know, didn't like the humor and stuff. But man, I, I really enjoyed doing the humor and was laughing out loud, you know, through half the filming. I thought it was terrific. It's so funny hearing, you know, the the polarizing aspect of the uh, humor of the MCU, and it's like, it's a comic book. It comes from a comical yeah. book, <laughs> so I don't get yeah. it. You know. I, th- I think my so-called big claim to fame is a Peter Porker Spider-Ham in, in, in the Spider-Verse. Mm-hmm. Now, with, um, with that, what is it like seeing that version of the character up on the big screen? More of like, you know, a slapstick-style uh, version on the big screen compared to what Peter Porker is in the pages. Uh, you know, you, you got to make... You're, they're adapting the material, so let them adapt it the way they think think it's going to work um i i didn't even know peter porker was going to be in the film mm-hmm. until like a week before the film opened i i say it had invited me to the california premiere but my schedule was such that i couldn't go and and i never bothered to ask him why i was invited <laughs> um yeah, I was kind of busy at the time. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I found out like the week before because somebody, you know, called me up to interview me about the creation of Peter Parker. And at the end of the interview, I said, why are you interested <laughs> in Peter Parker? And they said, didn't, didn't, haven't you heard about the Spider-Verse? I said, yeah, I know. It's a, it's, it's the new movie coming out. And, and Marvel had arranged for a New York screening. I said, I'm going to go see it next week. Why? What, what does that have to do with Peter Parker? Oh, he's in the movie. Oh, okay. You know, in general, I, I, I advise a lot of authors, if you're you know, selling the rights to your material, uh, you know, a short story, a novel, what the heck ever, uh, you know, to TV or movies, 
you know, just cash the check. Don't bother to ever watch. <laughs> look, at, look at the movie. You know, the, the odds are pretty good. It can only depress you. Well, the, the coolest thing with your creation of Peter Porker, I, I, you know, you mentioning the funny animal comics that you read as a child, like that's one of those things where you come full circle. I love seeing stuff like that. Like you ended up making your own, and in turn, that character hit the big screen as well. <laughs> and you can, you know, you you could have knocked me over with a feather because, uh, you know, Peter Porker started as a bad joke. Um, mm-hmm. Larry Hammer and I were sitting in Larry's office, and um, we, we were discussing, you know, there was always a question of whether or not Marvel is going to open up its own stores. And um, we knew Marvel was never going to do that. Well, we, the Marvel that we lived in at that time would never do that. Um, and, I, and I said, well, the, the main reason why they can't do it is because we have no apparel, because in those days, we had no power licenses. And and Larry said, well, and also we have no plush. And and, and then Larry said, the only way we're going to have plush is if we, if we did funny animals. And then off the top of my head, I said, you mean like Peter Porker, Spider-Ham? And Larry shot back at me. <laughs> no, I mean, meant something like Goose Rider. Yes, I love Goose Rider. <laughs> you know? And Larry and I just started riffing, mm-hmm. cracking jokes on you know, animal versions of, of the characters. Because, you know, Larry and I used to often goof about stupid stuff. And and somebody walked in and listened to us for a few minutes and then said, is that a book you guys are doing? And, and we looked at each other and said, yeah, yeah we're going to do, <laughs> do it. And somehow we convinced Jim Shooter to do a one-shot. And then, uh, to our surprise, <laughs> the one-shot done very well. And... uh it was then a regular comic book. Well, what, as somebody who loves puns, I really appreciate every single one of those names, especially, uh, uh, what's it? Goose Rider is my personal favorite. And then you have Cat, uh, the Captain America one, which I believe is uh, Captain Americat. Yeah. yeah. Just, again, there's did, did, was there a Punisher one? Because I feel like the Punisher would be a good one, like a cat cat I, Punisher. I think we did, we, we did get a Punisher one. I, I don't remember how, you know, hmm. all the characters we came up with. Um, you know, Steve Skates wrote the book after, you know, the, the regular comic book. Um, and then, then I think Joe Abello did a bunch of the small, the short stories that appeared in Marvel Tales and things. And it, it guys were just coming up with one thing after after the other. We we had a whole universe of, of I, characters. I will say though, with the very first one, I love that the title of the t- the book is called Marvel Tales T A I L S. <laughs> But I will say this, my only my only grievance, I love that there are pun names for all of them, except for Hulk Bunny, which is just a little too on the uh, the little button nose. Yeah, yeah that one didn't, didn't um, work so well. It happens. You know, and I, I got to do one of my favorite story titles, If He Should Punch Me. <laughs> I, I thought, yeah, that, that, that's like a Stanley title. Yeah, I could, but, I could but see. But dumber. Yeah, I get that too. In fact, maybe when you got when whoever got the Hulk bunny, it was like I think we're running out of uh, anecdotal names or or so on. But but some of this too also reminded me of, and I think it was in a spoof also that it was the Incredible Bulk instead of Hulk. Um, and right away I went back to the Wacky Packages stickers series. 
I mean, you look at, you know, uh, not Brand Eck, where it's like they have so many pun names. And again, like I think there's a Superman, but he, it's either in not Brand Eck or it's in uh, the EC uh, era of Mad, where it's Stupor Man. Mm-hmm. Right. So, again, there's there's just something about the funness of pun names. I can't get over that. As a, as a guy who loved making dad jokes and incessant puns, hey, Spider-Ham's my bag. <laughs> it's very kosher. Or not kosher, well, sorry. But, you know, what can you do? <laughs> <laughs> what can you do? Listen, our goal was that I, I've always believed that if the creative team was having fun, the readers would have fun too. And, you know, I've always strived to, uh, you know, enjoy the work that I was doing and, and then hope that everybody else was enjoying it too. This show is brought to you by our Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash themarvelists. And on the $3 tier, you'll get access to episodes early and ad-free. The $5 tier gets you our two bonus shows. One, Fantastic Voyage, where we dissect and just talk about the 102 issues, one by one, although if it's a storyline more than one at a time, of Stan Lee and Jack Kirby's amazing, incredible, spectacular, invincible, and fantastic run of the Fantastic Four, the world's greatest comic magazine. And two, you haven't read that? A show dedicated to the comic books that I haven't read yet. Some Marvel, some DC, all fun. And on the $8 tier, pick a topic of your choosing, not a topping of your choice, or perhaps you can be a guest on The Marvelists. Above all else, we thank you for your continued support. And, you know, I had mentioned to you off mic, you know, with my uh, obsession with Spider-Man going from the very beginning, thanks to uh, Far From Home, uh, as of this reading, I'm up to uh, post-Craven's Last Hunt, post-Marriage uh, of Peter and MJ, and I appreciated, you know, what you, Danny, and everyone involved in that era did, because it rectified a lot of, like, the problems I had with early 80s Spider-Man, where I'm just like, it doesn't have the same magic it does anymore, and then immediately you guys do things like maturing Mary Jane, making her less of the uh, tee-hee party animal kind of person where everything's just, you know, a gag. It's like whatever. And she becomes an adult. You know what I mean? I love that about that personification and all the different things in that era. And you guys just ramped it up to 11 and did a great job. Well, you know, that's our job to add to the universe. And also, I guess, to perpetuate not only sales but more character development. Possibly we, again... Going back to talking to uh, Danny Fingeroth, just trying to make the distinction or preference, however you want to put it, between Mary Jane and Gwen Stacy, and you know, time to um, you know bring Mary Jane up to speed, sort of, kind of as things go in terms of the timeline of the Marvel characters. And I thinking when I say that, how long it took Peter Parker to graduate? Huh. He was becoming a doctor. Well, <laughs> and going <laughs> off to Empire ESU, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I I know that at a certain point they made him a teaching assistant. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, at that time, most of our readers were, I, I used to refer to them as 16-year-olds of all ages, um, <laughs> thinking, hey, you know, if he's a teacher, he's now the enemy. Nobody, nobody wants to read stories about that teacher. Mm. I think that's the peril of anybody who maybe um, does well in their chosen field and may be invited to come back as an adjunct. I mean, I was in the communication department of my college, but you need that 
distance and time that some people that were maybe a year or two behind you, you know, is is now teaching you and you're not going to take them seriously or something? Yeah, well, I don't know. I, I, uh, I, I think Peter, you know, Peter is a very successful guy who can find the dark cloud behind every silver lining. I sure can. <laughs> great pause between Peter and the next word. That was I love that. Thank you very much, Tom. <laughs> a little levity here. Um, any other thoughts regarding Spider-Girl? Creating and, you know, have it come about again, more character development, another character in the Marvel Universe, whatever? Well, you know, Spider-Girl was... Uh, yeah, Spider Girl was something that was like in, you know, working on the Clone Saga. Spider Girl just kind of popped into my mind at one point, and um, you know, there's this little kernel in the back there, and I, and I kept thinking, yeah, boy, if, uh, if if Peter and Mary Jane have the, have this kid in, in like 15 years, that they they could go web swing together, <laughs> um, and then. Uh, at some point, I was assigned to write "What If." Um, and thought, "Oh, what if? Oh, great! Got to come up with uh, all, all these, you know, what what if scenarios." Mm-hmm. And and the Spider Girl thing just seemed like a natural. I remember when I called Ron friends and said, "Hey, I want to do a what if, you know, with, with Spider Girl," and, and and he said to me, "Well, shouldn't we call her Spider Woman?" And I said, nah, nah, nah. There's been like five spider women already. <laughs> you know? That 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 you know, you know that logo was cursed. We, we, let's just call her Spider Girl. And um, we worked on the what we thought would be the one and only issue of Spider Girl. Um, and as Ron was finishing it up, he said, "You know, I really like that character. Do you think we could ever do a sequel?" I said, yeah, who, who knows, maybe in a year or two. But it's a what if, uh, you know. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I doubt anybody's going to care about this, you know, this uh, this character enough to want to see her back again. Narrator, um, guess what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, like, a, you know, the book came out and it sold <laughs> very well. And, and one day Bob Harris came up to me and said, Hey, that what if you did sold so, so very well? And I said, which what if? And he said, Spider Girl. And I said, oh. And he said, I, I know you're putting a proposal to do a series. And I said, no, I didn't. And he said, <laughs> well, the editor has, has all these uh, character designs by Ron. And I said, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, when we were working on the thing, you know, you know Ron and I are, I, I, Ron friends... <laughs> I, I hope I said Ron Friends earlier. Ron Friends and I are lunatics. And, you know, if, if we're going to do a one, even if we're doing a one-shot story, we have to know the characters intimately. And Ron did all these character sketches and that sort of stuff. And at one point I showed, showed the editor all the character sketches. I guess he thought it was a proposal for a new book. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Bob said, you know, hey, we're, we're working on a deal where we're going to put three comic books in a bag. How about we make Spider Girl one of those comic books, and can you come up with two other titles that go, go with Spider Girl? And I said, Yeah, sure. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, 
And he said, yeah, you know, maybe you do do uh, either the, 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 the your, your, your future version of Fantastic Four or the, or the future Avengers, and maybe you do that little juggernaut character. And I thought, little juggernaut? What, what the hell is he talking about? And then I so the, you know, went back to the what if, and in the background of the Avengers thing, there's, we thought it was the real juggernaut. But, but he just assumed it was a, a young kid version of Juggernaut. That's how J2 was born. Oh, wow. Okay. Now, now you said little Juggernaut, but in the, my mind's uh, eye, I'm reading it as uh, Lil Juggernaut, L-I-L apostrophe. And I'm just imagining, like, you know, a uh, little devil hot stuff or uh, Archie, just a little, little Juggernaut. Yeah. <laughs> well, if, if you ever saw the J2 book, it really was like a hot stuff book. It was, uh, you know, we did like five-page stories, some stories in rhyme, some stories, you know, one-page story, a two-page story. We really, Ron Lim and I worked on that thing, and we, we just had a ball because, you know, we, we were doing a, a sort of kind of almost superhero book that was also kind of a, a, a sort of kind of parody of superhero books. Um it was a fun time. And in regards to, you know, the uh, the tandem of yourself and Ron Friends, what I love is the fact that, you know, you guys have done so much, made Spider-Girl a classic character that has a cult following, as well as just different things in your run. You guys are responsible for the issue where Mary Jane reveals that she knows to Peter, yeah, I know you're Spider-Man this entire time, as well as the yeah. uh, creation of one of my all-time favorite costumes, that has been like included in video games. They've made action figures of them. I think Funko Pops, the bombastic Bagman. <laughs> and what was it like the first time you saw that character, that interpretation of the character, get put in a video game? Just a, an unlockable costume. You're like, yeah, hey, you can play as that now with the "Kick Me" sign included. I, you know, I was totally unaware of the of the Bagman's popularity for for the longest time. Um. I just, you know, it just all caught me by surprise when I, I found out about the video game and, a, you know, and a Funko Pop and all, all that other stuff. I'm, I'm still searching for the Funko Pop. Um, you know, the, the, for, for Ron and I, that was just kind of a, a throwaway. We were just, trying, you know, we knew that Johnny would do his best to humiliate Peter. Um, so we, uh, you know, an old Fantastic Four costume with a paper bag for a mask. And uh, and I think I said to Rod, and of course he's going to put a kick me sign on the back of the costume. And every single version of the character, every time I see it in like merchandising, it has to be included. And I love that little attention to detail. It's such a great addition. Not for Spider-Man, of course, but, you know, just all of us viewing it in general. Yeah, you know, like I say, you got to have fun with this stuff. Um, and and you know, I can't emphasize enough. You know, Ron Friends' contributions to everything. Um, you know, it, it's all like a fifty-fifty thing. At this stage of the game, I don't. You know, I look back on things. I don't know what were his, his ideas, what were my ideas, what was his dialogue, what was my dialogue, what was, but. You know, you know, Ron Friends is a. I think he's one of the great Marvel artists. Uh, he doesn't get the uh, 
the love and appreciation he should be getting. Um, and I just, uh, I'm, I'm always in awe of his talent and, and so thankful that uh, <laughs> we've remained friends of the team for, for so many years. And it's really cool to see that, you know, in the realm of comics, you managed to get, you know, your uh, partner in crime with this with the, uh, in the form of Ron Friends. It's, I, every time I, you know, see your name, back of my mind, I'm thinking of uh, Ron Friends as well. So there's that, you know, association. You know, and, and, and I've been lucky to work with a lot of very talented guys, aside from Ron. I mean, you know, Ron Lim, Paul, Paul Ryan, uh, Herb Trimpey, uh, you know, so many guys over the years. J.R. Jr. with Dazzler. I, you know, I'm, I'm just a very lucky guy. Got to work with Harry Lucy at Archie and Dan DiCarlo, and Dan DiCarlo Jr. And, and, and the great Sam Schwartz. And you, you know, you mentioned Herb Trimpey as well as the late Harry Lucy as well. And like, what were some memories of you know working with with uh, each of them? Well, uh, you know, uh, you know, Harry only did a few of my stories, um, and he very rarely came into the office at Archie. Um, so I, I really didn't know Harry that well. Herb, I don't remember when Herb and I met, but uh, you know, we kind of bonded. And, and we're friends for you know, a long time. Um, and uh, you know, I, I remember at one point he was saying, yeah, I want to do something interesting and blah, blah, blah. And we, we started talking. We came up with Machine Man 2020. Um, and just, you know, had a bull <laughs> doing that nonsense because mm. we, we did it in the 80s. And, you know, 2020 was like 40 years away <laughs> We never thought it would come back to haunt us. <laughs> um, but you know, Herb was just a just a sweet, a sweet, great guy who, you know, he loved doing comics, and uh, you know, he loved talking about working with Stan and and Len Wein, and you know, just a great guy. Also, Tom, in respect to. Um just touching back real quick on Spider-Girl, who knew the length, the run that this character would go through? I see, what, 100 issues on the regular title, get a secondary title, an amazing Spider-Girl, 30 issues, and, you know, I don't know what happened or what gears changed where we could have had a friendly neighborhood Spider-Girl, we could have had a Marvel team-up Spider-Girl, but, but we also see how popular this character is, maybe not as of yet in the MCU in any series I don't know because I'm not video game you know knowledgeable I don't know if she's in any video games but she's, not. she's all over the place in cosplay as that has you know proliferated among both genders and so on so to your te- to your you know testament and thank yous for you know facilitating that happening well you know I, uh, we we can to get Pat Olive, who did, who did like the first fifty some odd issues, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and and did a fabulous job with the, all those issues. Uh, you know, we're just lucky we got to um, create a universe around uh, a single character, and um, you know, because we were our own universe, we we didn't have to get involved in any crazy crossovers or anything else like that. We we could just tell our stories. Um, it, it's 
a strange thing because originally we were supposed to do just six issues. And then they asked me if I could do 12. And then they asked me, uh, can you, can you, uh, you know, do up to, I think 15 or 16, you know, and, uh, you know, maybe do, uh, six more issues, uh, you know, maybe six more. And they kept adding six more and it went off like that for like 13 years. Uh, well, you know what? It's good to keep getting the work when, when it comes to the bottom line. But was there any thought that crossed your mind thinking, oh, is this all they want me for? Is this character? I mean, I did see something where you did create and help develop over like three dozen of them. Um, towards the end of my time at Marvel, my regular time at Marvel, um, I, I think that a, a lot of the younger editors looked at Spider-Girl and thought it was a young kid's book. Mm-hmm. And they thought that all I could do was young kids material, um, which uh, uh, I, I found somewhat funny because I, I do things outside of the comic book fields, which are far from young children's kids stuff. Um, and I never even thought of Spider-Girl as just a young kid's book. I just thought of it as a regular superhero book. But, uh, you know, at a certain point, I think I was, you know, uh, you know, pigeonholed into doing that stuff. Right. And I, um, you know, I didn't really care because uh, <laughs> I, um, it, it, Editors are a cowardly and superstitious lot, and they like to pigeonhole you in, 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 in um, you know, hey, this guy, you know, I'm going to use this guy for for humor. I'm going to use this guy for uh, for horror stories. I'm going to use this guy for, for murder mysteries. Um, and if you, if you, if, if, if you watch your career and do a lot of different things, you get pigeonholed into about, kind of 12 different specialties uh, and, and actually have a, a very varied career. Yeah, that's the comic book version of what? Cross-training, I guess, then, right? Yeah, well, and, and outside of comic books, too. Mm-hmm. I, I, I always remember one time I was talking to a publisher, and I found a book publisher, and found out that, uh, you know, they were going to start doing graphic novels. And I said to him, you're going to do graphic novels. Why didn't you talk to me? He said, what, what do you know about comics? And I thought, okay, he just knows me for a certain type of work. And he's totally unaware of the fact that, yeah, I've been doing comics for like 50 years. You proceed to just hand him a long box. Like, here you go. Enjoy your day. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I just laughed and, and moved on because, yeah, I have plenty of other work. I didn't care. Now, in regards to what you're doing in comics nowadays, what is the next big project you're working on? Um, well, in comics, I don't really have an, a next big project. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next project I'm working on, which is next week, is a, a, a story for Archie Christmas Spectacular 2022. Mm. Um, and, and that's a five-page story. Uh and I, I still do the occasional stories for Archie. Uh, they appear in the Digest books and assorted other comics. Um, and uh, I just had a 
Ken Pig's Enchantress story appearing in a third book, Ron and I did. Um, and we also came out with a title called uh, the, the Light Project. We did the first issue of the uh, Indiegogo. And, uh, you know, <laughs> we keep talking, eh, we'll do another issue as soon as we get some spare time. Now, you mentioned that you're doing a five-page story for Archie. In the realm of comics for aspiring creators, why should a young up-and-comer write a five-page? Like, what do they learn through a five-pager? Because I know why, but, you know, tell the audience. It's, a, it's structure. Mm. You've, you've got to learn how to structure a story. And, you know, any, any kind of writing is all based on, you know, structure. If you're going to write a movie, you've got to know the, the structure of the movie. You're going to write a comic book. You have to know the structure of the comic book. And a, a five-page story really hammers in, you know, the kind of structure that you need. Um, and I, I, you know, I, I've said this to so many writers um, and, and want to be comic book writers. If you, want to, if you want to write, become a writer first. And a guy who does comics second, you know, let comics be just one of the, you know, arrows in your quiver. Because, you know, you know, this week, uh, you know, you can get plenty of work as a comic book writer. Next week, uh, not so much. But hey, if you can, if you can write, you know, TV scripts, you know, screaming is desperate for writers. And if the week after that, uh, you know, you had a fight with a director, well, so you write a novel or a short story. Just, you know, keep on writing. That's invaluable to hear because there's so many different things, you know. A writer could be, you know, struggling a little bit, like, oh, I can only do this, I can only do this. You have to learn to, you know, adapt and do as much stuff as humanly possible. Yeah, you know. Do some nonfictions, write some reviews. You know, as I said earlier, editors are a cowardly and superstitious lot. They only want to hire somebody who's been published before. So go out and get published. How do you get published? You know, write reviews for you know the, the free giveaway uh, newspaper that uh, you know is, is in your local supermarket. Get a couple of articles published. You know, get out there. Uh, you know, when I was learning how to write, again, I, you know, I worked for a PR firm. I wrote press releases. I, you know, any kind of work I could get, I, I, I did. And, um, you know, it, it has all been very, very helpful. Well, speaking, Tom, about you know, getting out there, I think, you know, before the last couple of years elapsed or so on, that uh, I think you were at the Big Apple Con in New York City? I'm, I'm sure I was at at a big Apple con. So you've been at you've been at shows and stuff, and uh, anything coming up that you know of that you might be at? Next year, I'm I'm hoping to go to a bunch of you know a bunch of conventions. I, I have my fingers crossed. I, I think it, it would be good to go to a lot of a lot of conventions because um, this is my 50th year in the business, and at some point you got to know when to fold them. Uh, and uh, I, I'm thinking, you know. Maybe one, maybe one, maybe two more years of conventions, and then I, I think it's, it's it's time to roll up the uh, roll, roll up the autograph head and, and move on with my life. Mm-hmm. 
you know, I got to figure out what I'm going to be when I grow up. There you go. That's what it comes down to. <laughs> oh, it's great that you can still do like I may have said off and on in other interviews. It's great that you can do what you love and love what you do. It's um, symbiotic. It, it, it it's a fabulous thing. In a in a non uh, black costume Spider Man kind of way, yeah. Mm-hmm. So now before we wrap this up, Tom, first off, thank you as always for speaking with us today. My, it has been my pleasure. And how can people get a hold of you on social media? <laughs> um, hey, I did yeah, get a hold of you on Facebook. What, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm on Facebook, but I already, I, I think, uh, I've passed my limit of friends, so I'm not allowed to have any more friends. Oh. Uh, um, but, yeah, I guess Facebook is, is my social media. I... I've always been very terrible when it came to social media because, to me, you know, if I turn on that computer, I should be working. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've, I've discovered that if you spend a lot of time on social media, you're, you're not working. It ages you. Yes. <laughs> you know, um, I, I try to remember whenever I have, you know, a new comic book story or something like that coming out to, to publicize it on, on Facebook. But, of course, I usually forget, and um, I'm going to try to be better on Facebook. Quite frankly, though, you saying, you know, you don't want to be on the computer that much on social media, that's great advice to give to aspiring creators as well as, you know, a lot of the professionals that should put more emphasis on the pro and professional, you know, get away from the social media and, you know, just do your own thing. Well, you've got to follow your heart. Um, I've, I've always said that there is one real secret to writing. Um, and I, you know, a lot of times I, when I go to conventions, I, I try to give a speech, you know, a talk on, you know, how to write comics, where I show people what a comic book plot is, what a comic book script is, and I give them all sorts of pointers. And I always tell them that at the end of this lecture, I'm going to tell you the, the one secret to writing. And, and here's the big secret to writing. You really have to care about what you're writing. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't care, the readers won't either. And by that I mean if, if you're going to write a one-page Archie, Archie joke book page, you've got to really believe that that's a funny one-page gag. And if you're going to write a Spider-Man story, you've got to really believe in Spider-Man and really believe, you know, in... in you know, in his heroic ideal and everything. Because it's your job to convince the people that this is real. And if you don't believe it and, and, and you aren't committed to it, the readers aren't going to be either. Um, and, you know, that's the secret of writing. Care about what you're writing. 100%. Tom, thank you so much. It was an absolute pleasure and an honor. Thank you, sir. For The Marvelists, I'm Peter Melnick. I'm Tom DeFalco. And I'm Eddie Wilson. Excelsior. Hoo-ha. Obsessed with Marvel. Tom DeFalco edition. Thanks, Tom, for sticking around with us. Okay. All right, here we go. It's question 2364. Who was Flaming Star? Choices are leader of the Skullmen in The Blazing Skull, 
a Native American who gave the first Phantom Rider his costume, a shaman of the small folk in Devil Dinosaur, or the wizard of the lost civilization of Kalahia in The Thin Man. The wizard? This is really out there for me, so I'm not sure. Let me repeat it. Who was Flaming Star, leader of the Skull Men in The Blazing Skull, a Native American who gave the first Phantom Rider his costume, a shaman of the small folk in Devil Dinosaur, or wizard of the lost civilization of Kalahia in The Thin Man. Now, Tom, doesn't it kind of sound like that name sounds like a Jack Kirby kind of character, Flaming Star for Devil Dinosaur? Because um, I'm getting that feeling. Nah, I'm, I'm going to say the, uh, the the Phantom Rider. I, I was thinking that initially, too. Flaming Star, it, it, I'm thinking, oh, an Indian-ish type of t- title name characteristic. Um, I'm with I'm with Tom, letter B. So uh, let's let's try that as the answer. And that is correct. Okay, we're off to a good start. Uh, I did that on purpose to try and get you guys off. Uh, clearly, you know, no, no. Oh, you know, yeah, yeah. Thanks, Peter. Off, off your okay. game. Sorry. Really? Tom, this is what I have to deal with. But, <laughs> o- but only when we podcast. Any other time, I don't know. Mm. Maybe it's just gravy or... <laughs> It's a father-son thing because there's such an age difference between us. It's yeah. Thanks, Diane. <laughs> Thanks, Diane. Look, look, son, I'm telling you. All right, question uh, 643, which reads, Richards, no. Which of the following women did not date Peter Parker? Ooh, this is going to be a fun one. This is going to be a fun one. Is it Marcy Kane, Betty Brant, Sissy Ironwood, or Deborah Whitman? We have done this question before. Oh, I, rem- I remember right? that. All right. Which of the following women did not date Peter Parker? Deb- Mar- Marcy Kane, Betty Brant, Sissy Ironwood, or Deborah Whitman? I have my answer. Now, didn't didn't Sissy, because I know, so Deb Whitman, who I can't stand, dated him. Did. Uh, Deb, Deb dated him. Yeah. Uh, Betty dated him. Yep. Um, We're down to Marcy Kane and Sissy Ironwood. I feel like it's yeah. Sissy, isn't it? I'm thinking Sissy because I, no, reco- no, I don't recognize the name, he, really. He did, because I remember, I think Sissy shows up in a uh, Spectacular in the uh, late 70s, I think. Mm. Yeah, and I'm, I'm also going to, I'm going to say Marcy Kane didn't didn't date him. Okay. Yeah. I, I think they got, you know, look, looked like they were close, but they never got, got around to it. Yeah. So it could be a trick question. All right, so let's say letter A, even though my, my Eddie sense is kind of going because I don't recognize the name, but just on that may not be enough. Letter A, is it Marcy Kane? Yeah. Correct. Okay. Yeah, cause, okay. Because I think, I think we also did this question in the past. Because oh, yeah? I remember the whole thing of uh, Sissy. I'm like, oh, he would never date someone named Sissy. Like, narrator, guess what, dummy? You know? <laughs> so. Well, I'm trying to remember. There's a, a novel by Paul Kupperberg that we had spoken to Paul at some point. And I thought it was a kingpin story, and I thought that supposedly J. J. Jonah Jameson's niece was something of a sissy-type name. Maybe not exact, so anyway, I regress. Unlike Peter, who digresses. I digest, even. Question, we all, I hopefully do. 529, question reads, which of the following Spider-Man adversaries once owned the Daily Bugle? Is it Norman Osborn, Thomas Fireheart, J. Jonah Jameson, or all answers are correct. It's got to be D. Well, fine. You know, it's got to be, because why would they include that, you know? I, I think that's what this book is tending to do, so I don't know if you have anything different there, Tom. Yeah, um, I, I know Jameson did, you know, owned it at one point, and Fireheart owned it, and who, who's the other guy? Norman Osborn. 
that would have been after my time. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think this is structured. So, yes, we say letter D. So let's go with that. And, oh, my goodness, we're three for three. I can't believe we're sitting down for this. Okay. And then the book explodes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Let's try for four and maybe make it a, I don't know, four for four then. You're right. Okay. Well, wow. Eddie has a way with words. Which is not sure what way it is, but it's it's a way. A way. Up, up, and away. Yeah, okay. All right. 1028, I'm getting there. Okay. Do, 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 do. One more page. 1028, which says... Well, it's 433, Eddie. Which, sorry, who was not one of the original Captain America's protégés? Okay. Who was not one of the original Captain America's protégés? Free Spirit, Jack Flag, Battlestar, or Demolition Man? And they hyphenated Demolition Man. Oh, you men, nightmare. It's It's Battlestar without hesitation. I'm going to go along because I really don't recognize hardly any name here. I'm going to argue it because I'm a contrarian. Uh, Whatever one is next to that one. Okay. Demolition Man? No, Demolition Man worked with Captain America. Okay. During the Mark Roomworld War. And Free Spirit and Jack Flag would lend themselves by name to to being a Captain America protege. So let's go with Battlestar C. Correct. C is C is for correct. I think we're going to stop there. Four for four. C is correct. That's good enough for me. C is for cookie. That's good. You know, both are. I lived through Sesame Street, and so did Tom. So I'm not sure about you. Though. I did. The original. The same one. It was continuous. It was rerun. <laughs> it was this new. It was new. It was syndicated. It was still new episodes. <laughs> we had Elmo. Listen, guys, I predated Sesame Street. I, that was not something I watched. Well, all right. You were 19 then, so fine. You grew up. <laughs> Thank you again, Tom.